he was screwing up left and right. In fact, the whole movie, he's he's well, his fucking up. His approach is flawed. His approach is flawed. <laughs> yeah. It's even, and again, that's also visually represented one in the suit at how dinged up it gets and how at the, the wing, the squirrel suit when he's flying, how like he deploys the parachute and then falls and almost <laughs> dies. Like he's not, he's not the Batman that we're used to who just jumps off a roof and is like, all right, that's totally chill. Savage Dragon, a comic 30 years in the making. But first, riddle me this, Rubin. Uh, I don't know if I want to see where this is going, dude. What do you get when a bat meets a sad orphan? Oh, God. I, I really don't want to hear this. A mad orphan. Because he's going to get rabies. Do you get it? Because bats have rabies. Not all, not all bats, though. I'd hate to judge all based on one unfortunate encounter. I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two dudes who interrupt this comic book podcast to talk about yet another comic book movie. Cash grab. Cash grab. <laughs> <laughs> this week on Quarantine Comics, we are not reviewing The Savage Dragon, but rather The Batman, the latest film adaptation of everyone's favorite community policing advocate, directed by Matt Reeves, who directed the latter two Planet of the Apes movies. From apeshit to batshit. Batman, pretty much created by Bill Finger in uh -huh. 1939, and some other hack who might have done good work, but is kind of a douche for taking all the credit all these years. Batman has starred in more than 13 live-action big-screen adaptations and countless more in TV and film. This latest film features a roster of talent, including Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, his two BFFs, Jeffrey Wright as Lieutenant James Gordon and Andy Serkis as failing father figure Alfred Pennyworth. Zoe Kravitz creates palpable tension as Selina Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, and Paul Dano, Colin Farrell, and John Turturro inhabit enough collective villainy to make you really need a shower. Because in Matt Reeves' Gotham, it's always raining. <laughs> this latest Bat flick is a three-hour tour of Gotham, that you probably don't want to live in, as Batman finds himself in his second year navigating a city that he finds himself grappling with this place in. And he's just getting sadder and madder and sadder and madder every hour. And here to help us through all of this sadness is returning friend of the pod, Paresh, who you might remember from our more recent review of the comic, Batman Imposter, as well as many other projects, Bat and non-Bat related. Paresh, welcome back to Quarantine Comics. Hello. Happy to be here. To bring some happiness amongst all the sadness that I'm sensing. <laughs> Put some marbles in your mouth and give us your best Batman voice. <laughs> no, not right now. <laughs> so, so Paresh, like a pointy-eared vigilante who may or may not be vengeance, let's just base jump right into it. What do you think of the Batman? Well, I saw it twice in one weekend. So you can you can imagine what I think of it. I very much enjoyed this. As you mentioned, there were... 13 live action Batmans, not all of them purely just Batman films, but this is the first one, in my opinion, that truly focuses 
on who Batman is instead of the villains, even more so than Batman Begins, which came close, and non-live action films, Mask of the Phantasm, which you know focuses on Batman and Bruce Wayne as well. So I really loved it. Visually stunning, great acting, and I thought it was super tense. Yeah, it's three hours long, but I I rolled with it. I could I could I honestly could have watched two more hours of it. That's me. So <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll leave it to the rest of you to. Ryan, tell me you love this, and we can end this podcast now, and I can go to sleep. <laughs> I was amped to see this movie. Like a lot of my, a lot of critics liked it, a lot of my friends liked it, so I was really hyped to go in and see it. And it, you know, there's a lot I loved about it. It just, it's a really claustrophobic feeling. Gotham. It's the first time a Batman movie has actually felt really, really scary, yeah. as well. But I was actually really disappointed with it when I came out. It, it felt like a really long three hours, almost four hours to me. I, I think. It's just, it felt like they were just heaping plot point after plot point after plot point on it. And I, I felt actually also a lot of the performances were one note. They made an interesting decision to make Batman, like Bruce Wayne, just completely damaged. Like he can't even fake it, you know, being <laughs> being, being like a playboy. And which I, I liked in theory, and I liked, I liked it in the small dose we got in Batman Imposter. But for three hours, it's sort of like this same, he's kind of hitting the same note over and over again. So I, yeah, I, I, I was basically really disappointed with where this went. I, I, I feel like it, it should have been, you know, an hour and a half, honestly. What about, what about you, Raman? I kind of threading the needle between you both. It, it took me about 24 hours to kind of figure out what I felt about it because it was long, but I wanted to live in it really to kind of Paresh's point. I, when I decided to kind of like I, going in, I knew how long it was. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's just, I'm, I'm in for the ride. And I just decided to live in Gotham city for three hours. And I do think, I, I do think I, I felt very satisfied at the end and not left wanting more. I, I do want more, but I think it didn't leave me wanting more enough. So if that makes sense, like two hours would have left me like, oh, I wish they did that. I wish they did that. But it did everything I wanted. To Paresh's point, I feel like starting with the Christopher Nolan movies, I started to feel like my, my original point of the Christopher Nolan movies, at least Batman Begins, was, oh, OK, this is actually Batman, not yes. Tim Burton's interpretation of Batman. But now having seen this movie, you know, largely influenced by many of the kind of crime noir Batman, like Long Halloween, etc., I was like, oh, no, no, this is actually Batman because the Chris Nolan films are Chris Nolan's Batman. And maybe, you know, 15 years from now, I'll be like, these were the Matt Reeves Batmans. But this felt the closest to non-superhero Batman because there is yeah. like ultimate Bat Grant Morrison Batman is like the ultimate, you know, et cetera, Batman or the JLA version of him. And so it's this was just damaged guy. It is year two, and I think a lot of people really needed to understand that. It's not year one with the fun and the hijinks that Batman Begins, or even Frank Miller's year one. It's year two. This thing is the kind of Batman imposter stuff. This shit is wearing on But, so, but around, about what you're saying about Frank Miller's year one, the vibe of year one, the comic book, mm -hmm. is so prevalent, at least in the in the visuals and, mm -hmm. and the vibe of this film, more so than even than Batman Begins grimy so seedy and just i felt like i i felt like it was so inspired by that visually yeah yeah no it's like i used to think 
Batman Begins was totally copying off of Batman Year One. And after having seen this movie, I'm like, no, no, no. Batman Begins yeah. is about Christopher Nolan really wanted to shoot ninja sequences in the Himalayas. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, it it felt like Chris. I mean, and I, I I genuinely still enjoy the Nolan trilogy, but this again, it was Nolan trying to do this like kind of Nolan film, like Nolan epic versus this was no. Let's just go to Gotham and hang out with a bunch of criminals. And I, I don't know. It's, it's for me, I guess, uh, to kind of shorten it up, every, it fired on all cylinders. I enjoyed the plot. I did enjoy the acting. I really enjoyed almost all. I think I enjoyed all of the supporting characters, even like the corrupt DA. Like I, I liked those portrayals and they left me really upset about these people. So uh, I don't know, man. I Yeah, I... So, so I I love the, you know, the Frank Miller Batman. I, you know, though, I, I never thought I'd say this, but in, in a way I kind of feel it's almost time. Like the grim and gritty stuff, it feels sort of like it's trapped in the nineties and you know, this sort of version of Batman where he's dark and he's tortured. Like, I feel like I've seen it before and he just kind of turned up the dial to like, to like, to like 11 in this case. And you know, I, I I almost kind of want a different version of Batman who isn't as tortured, who's a little bit more competent. And I never thought I'd say that, but I just I I think. So you want like the all star, the all star Superman version of Batman? You know what I, I you, you know what I appreciate about Grant Morrison is that he kind of gives you different versions of Batman mm. every time you, you see him. Mm. And I I feel like kind of falling back on oh man, I'm really dark. Things are so bad. It it feels like it's you're just still reaching to for the same source material and as well done as it was and as cool as a bat suit looked uh, i felt like we had been through this territory before and going through it again for another three hours where it just kind of hits that note over and over and over again i kind of was left thinking we needed we i just want to see a different version of batman but, but ryan i don't think I, I don't think we've been through this before live action I get what you're saying in terms of okay, there 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 is something about the darkness that is almost uh, parody at this point. I understand that, yeah. right? Like voiceovers, they, especially. The, yeah, it's been pushed by the the Nolan movies were so so successful because they were great. I mean, at least the first two were great, and they pushed this idea of this gravelly voiced Batman to to an extreme, played by Christian Bale. That I think that the the darkness theme, and then you know you get Zack Snyder coming in with I completely Ben Affleck's. <laughs> you get Zack Snyder coming in with Ben Affleck's version of Batman, which was also very, very dark and and very very broody, and you know obviously that's a theme of Batman. But I don't think anyone has ever actually gone into the emotional side of Bruce Wayne slash Batman like this every movie has somehow focused more on the villains focused yeah. more on what they do and and the vibe of gotham here it it literally is I, I like almost every scene to your point uh ryan how there's no billionaire playboy almost every scene is with batman like he's in the suit 90 percent right. of the movie appreciate that yeah, yeah. I, I i appreciate there's a greater vulnerability to batman here yes both physically and psychologically yeah but at the same time i mean kind of going back to the one note thing you know we see that bruce wayne is damaged and he can't you know he can't be anything other than batman even when the mask is off he can't even muster up the energy to to fake it but that's sort of like for me the only note that 
Pattinson hits. That's the only note that the filmmakers really hit with his Batman. And he, there's an opportunity to really kind of interrogate that. He there's this revelation that maybe his dad is kind of an asshole. And well, I want to push back. That's the. Well, let me just finish this thought. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the opportunity to really kind of like, okay, like let's just see where this character goes. That's the opportunity to kind of take that character to another level and really explore what does that mean? You know, everything that he thought was true is fake. How does that change his relationship to Batman? How does that change his relationship to his family? And then like literally once they reveal that his dad might be an asshole, there's another really long exposition sequence where there's where they kind of cast doubt on that. And yeah. it's sort of like, okay. I hear you. I, I I think they I think they do litigate that. I think the the uh, can we talk spoilers or no in this in this? Oh, I mean, yeah. we're, we're well, pretty much there. But, but I want to I want to jump in really quick because I I do think they do litigate that because Batman comes to terms with being vengeance isn't enough through yes. that whole exposition of his dad. Like at first I was a, a little cringy at the the venom scene but like when he took out like the red flare i was like what's going on but it paid off at the very end with like the helicopter scene at the very end at, at the top of madison's gotham square garden where he's helping the guy get on the thing and the guy's holding his hand and won't let go like that it was moment, it, it, it was a woman but yeah that 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 speech he makes at the end roman that's that's like the whole mm -hmm. that's the litigation that we're talking about right and mm -hmm. i think ryan to what you're saying you know can they can they go beyond that one note? I think this whole movie is telling, is saying that what Batman has done is not good. Everything, and it's a resounding no that he has, he's had an effect, but it's negative. And the way he's been doing things is portrayed as ineffective and, and intent, unintentionally creating terrible terrible characters and villains and 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 people in this place and he has to now he has to now like change his approach i think the whole movie is is working through the mud for that you know what i mean i feel well yeah but at the it kind of it's like three it's like two hours and 55 minutes in we have this sort of like vengeance is enough i have to be hope and mm -hmm. And it's like literally like the last, how does he come to that conclusion? Like how does like thinking about his dad, like kind of like this weird ex expository dump involving his dad, how does that get him to that place? I don't think that's you know, all you don't it really is. See him. What is it though? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I think I it's very, I, I think it's very, seeing it. I think it's very subtle, not subtle. I mean, I, I think it's visual. So there's, this movie has a lot of show don't tell aspects. He start, you start to see his, belief in whether things are black and white or whatever start to get deconstructed with his first meeting with selena right that's like that that's like the first crack in that shell that eventually continues to get punctured through through then the conversation with carmine falcone and alfred about his father to your point long long exposition there i get that but then afterwards the meeting that he has with the Riddler itself and thinking that he's about to be exposed, but really then realizing that, wait a second, this dude is like me technically. And what have I done? And that's the, I actually think it happens right there in that interrogation scene. I guess not really interrogation, but with, with the Riddler. Not punching then, the plexiglass scene, but yes. 
Yeah, yeah. And it it and you know, so I think there are points along the entire movie, Ryan, where that's hinted at being punctured. It's not it's I can understand the first time he says it is at the end in the last 20 minutes, right? But I think it's shown to I, I think it's a gradual thing in the film. I see I feel like Imposter does a better job at that. You know, and it's it, because it's you mm. see that effect through the character, all the other characters' reactions to Batman. And here it's, it's, I actually kind of disagree. This was a show don't tell. I felt this was tell don't show because most of the revelations are sort of like these, these, you know, these long kind of speeches, voiceovers, be the movie begins with one and ends with one. And to me, it felt, it felt kind of really forced. And the whole idea of, but the villains, Batman is like the villains or the villains are like Batman one creates the other has been again sort of like a theme that again we, we we've seen it a little bit in in Nolan's Dark Knight and mm-hmm. we see that quite a bit in the comics and so i yeah, guess all I'm, the time I'm in kind the of comics. hoping for something just again something that's a little bit more unique I, I i i appreciated the aesthetic of this movie but once i kind of got beyond that it felt like a shell it felt a little bit hollow like they were just kind of like throwing a whole bunch of really cool you know, images and sequences at you without it really adding up. And that was my big disappointment for this movie. I was really expecting to love it. I think maybe, I, I don't know. I, uh, I think some of it is if you set high expectations, there's one, but you know, not letting go enough because that's kind of, I saw the first trailer online and I was like, this looks really interesting. We'll see what happens. I saw that same trailer in theaters in front of one of the other conflict movies. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm very intrigued. I'm going to shut my brain down about this movie and have no expectations going into this. And mm-hmm. I'm going to, as this podcast has taught me, just kind of let go in it. And that's, and maybe, and and so I think I was able to kind of just kind of live in what I felt was the depths of it. Because I did, I think you really did have to kind of sit in the grime of just the damage that was <laughs> Battinson to, yeah. to appreciate the arc. And it's funny, you mentioned that the first encounter with Selena. I didn't even see that until you just mentioned it. And damn it, Paresh, you've seen it twice. Like it's, <laughs> uh, But yeah, it's every time I go play back something in the film, it, it feels like it was a piece that was put in place for a purpose, I guess, is what I'd say. So, what was um, the, first, well, the first encounter with Selena? So what does he learn? I, I, I can't uh, remember. I, I remember he's kind of... He's, he's staking, he's out, the wait- he's staking out the waitress. He's staking out the waitress. And... Yeah. He's he inter- he interrupts her robbing the safe. That's that's the first bad that's the fir- that, that's the first right? e- encounter. But their first conversation on that rooftop with the bat symbol, where he where he kind of expresses or passes judgment very quickly about Annika, the woman who dies. That oh maybe she had it coming. She you know she knew what she was dealing mm-hmm. with. She should have done something different. Okay, yeah, that's um, it. She exposes like yeah she exposes his 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 privilege and 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 how he thinks and you start to see that like okay he seems to have obviously he thinks the worst in people but he also seems to think very black and white when it comes to criminals it's like oh well you you know you're going after money you're going after this you had it coming kind of like a very almost like a very you know right wing point of view that she immediately like shuts down with what actually is happening with her and how unfortunate her life has been totally out of her control. Yeah. I remember that scene. I do remember liking that scene because it does kind of reveal the presumptions of Bruce Wayne of, 
of Batman and his limitations, you know, as a result of those. And that's what I love. That's another thing I loved about this movie, his limitations. He was screwing up left and right. In fact, the whole movie, yeah. he's, he's well, his, appro- his approach is flawed. His approach is flawed. <laughs> yeah. It's even, and again, that's also visually represented one in the suit at how dinged up it gets and how at the, the wing, the squirrel suit when he's flying, how like he deploys the parachute and then falls and almost dies. <laughs> like he's not, he's not the Batman that we're used to who just jumps off a roof and is like, all right, that's totally chill. You know, that's, he's not there yet. Yeah. Like I said, there are these moments that are so good. The, the like, I actually remember right, right before he jumps off the building, he actually is like scared. He's like, oh yeah. shit. Yeah, and that's a really great moment. And then, of course, the squirrel—he he gets away, but not without consequences to him. The scene that you mentioned, where Selena Kyle interrogates him a little bit, and I guess I was always kind of like looking for more of that. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it, I think, I think one of the issues also is that it got so bogged down by this, by the Riddler's plot, and then it would get on this detour about Carmine Falcone, and then you'd kind of really go into just like narrating the plot territory there'd be like one initially i was kind of like okay cool there he's working to solve the mystery and you would think that as he starts to solve the mystery you would you know maybe that's the opportunity for batman to really interrogate his role in gotham and to an extent you know it comes at the final five minutes but most of it is just him kind of working through the mystery where you reveal the secrets of his dad. And it's not that interesting, especially because it's, we're not sure if his dad is, you know, we get kind oh, of it's like another the, fake. I mean, it's yeah, Joker. But it, like, say what you will about it. It's oh, another fake out. They keep doing that. That and- worked. That worked. This didn't because when Joe Joker is, is literally subverting your expectations by saying, here's my origin. And then he'll say it again. Here's my origin. Mm. You know, he's, he's doing it to kind of illuminate who he is as a character. And here it's sort of like, you're not really illuminating anyone's character. You're just kind of filling in the Wikipedia entry. Well, I know what I'm uh, saying is it's kind of the constant, the, the thing that probably did drag this movie out is there were four or five different things going on and they tried to kind of Seinfeld and put them all together. Like they all fit together. The, the Falcone Selena thing, the Wayne estate thing, the revival project thing, the serial killer thing. And they were all linked, but it was kind of stretching to link. It was almost like too many pieces that you needed to link together. Probably. I think there are probably five to six linkages. Mm -hmm. And again, it is kind of a web of conspiracy of the mob and the city and the corruption of the city. I don't know. And I think that kind of is what dragged it for a lot of audiences. But I didn't mind it. And part of it is because I was treating it like a Batman comic, not or like a really interesting prestige television series. You know, Mm -hmm. I I, kind of think of like other really you know strong you know where where it's just like plot over again you know plot 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 that's heaped up and movies where it works i'm thinking like la confidential heat is another movie where it's just like you know it's my favorite movie of all time i love Heat. right (laughs) and those movies are great and i think like as but the the movie is not really kind of dominated by the plot it's almost sort of like you you kind of get a sense of who these people are and their odd codes of ethics yeah. And how that they and how and how the, the plot actually compl- creates these complicated situations where those ethics and those codes are really kind of put to the test. I think heat especially, mm-hmm. and so you kind of see like the plot and the revelation of who these people are as characters really working hand in hand in a way that just feels so seamless. 
And I actually think I know like Dark Knight was had was you know owed a lot to Heat, and you kind of see that working as well. It's a very complicated plot, but at the same time, each step kind of challenges the characters in new ways. And I didn't get that in the Batman. It's like each step kind of. You know, it's it's you know, Batman gets his ass kicked a little bit, or he kicks somebody's ass, and there are these moments. To Paresh's point, like of when you mentioned that Selena Kyle encounter, where it seems like he's gonna crack through and he's gonna really start interrogating things, or when when his dad is revealed to be maybe a killer. But aren't those the cracks forming? Aren't those the cracks forming? Yeah, that's what I that that's my that's my argument. Is I that feel like they're the it's forming. like it's like they're they're teasing you and then they don't really do much more with it it's not it's not it's not something that really kind of builds you don't see batman ever kind of put in a situation where his code is tested the way you do christian bale's batman the way you do with the characters in heat and the consequences of following that code is you know can be devastating either you know personally emotionally or or physically and well i guess physically obviously because he's batman he's always you know in getting in the line of fire but yeah, I, I I didn't see that that tension between the characters that I would have liked to have seen. I think you see it in a couple of different ways, right? After you know, Alfred gets uh, blown up and almost dies. There, there, there. There's a strong feeling of, of solitude for him, which is when he goes to talk to Selena. There is the interrogation, not the interrogation, but the investigation at the orphanage where he's literally presented with a broken down old Wayne Manor that is now basically a a slum with with drop heads or, or or drug addicts, like a vestige of his family's former glory just completely brought down to ruins. And you see the renewal fund constantly come up over and over and over again, which is almost metatextual with I don't know if you guys see this on Twitter almost, you know, once a year, every year, somebody bringing up the idea that, you know, in Batman, instead of fighting crime, could just donate all his billions and, and mm. do something, right? And and I mean, I think that kind of addresses uh, that in a, in, a, in a different way where, you know, the Waynes created a billion dollar fund and the Waynes died and then it became, <laughs> it became a mob slush fund and it was totally ignored. Yeah. And, and Batman, being Batman and not long, no longer Bruce Wayne, no oversight over that probably could have done something about it still hasn't Th- those are the things that are being I-, I think are presented in two ways one his neglect of being bruce wayne has has exacerbated their his father's mistake right and then his devotion to to batman singularly and the methods that he's using is just making the problem worse on that front so i think it's it's presenting like Gotham as the complete challenge for him in this movie. Yeah. What you said makes sense. I see. I feel that the pieces are there in the movie to really kind of, you know, litigate what does Batman mean to Gotham and is he actually a force for good? And the movie comes close to actually addressing that. Like there's a, there's like a radio, there's like a radio host or something like that. It says, Oh, crime has actually gone up since Batman has has appeared. Mm, mm. Um, But it never really, you know, you never really see Bruce Wayne, you know, talk, you know, 
struggling with that or having to make decisions based off of his, you know, his decision to basically uh, be a vigilante rather than try to use the money to kind of lift up, elevate the city. Yeah. I mean, the theme is fear. He's afraid. Right? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what, that's what keeps getting presented. And that's the challenge that he's faced with when Alfred almost dies. Right. The, the fact that he's Batman the whole time is because he is afraid to be Bruce Wayne because he is afraid to be vulnerable in that way. He's, af- and he's constantly using fear in all the wrong ways, potentially. So I know, yeah, I, know see- I know what you're saying, Ryan. I, 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 can, I can appreciate your concern here, and I can appreciate your, your point of view. I just don't agree with it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That, you know, that, one of I, mean, the, I guess um, that's what he's... I, I love going, how there were moments of levity in the movie, and there weren't obvious ones. Like, it wasn't the kind of marble quipple meter kind of show. <laughs> yeah. But, like, yeah. the entire thumb drive gag, like, I was losing it in the theater. because oh, I love of- Colin Farrell, too. He yeah. was awesome. No habla espanol, fellas. I love that one. <laughs> well, it's even <laughs> I I loved and I hated, you know, the thing that hooked me in the trailer, especially when I saw it on the theater is, you know, the end of the chase scene where where Colin Farrell's like, "I got you. I got you." And then, you know, the Batmobile comes roaring through and you see the conclusion of that scene. And so when it happened, I I kind of like was, oh, "Okay, I here's the trailer. It's kind of coming." Um and I still loved it. Like because I don't want to say it was an earned moment, but I don't I don't know. There were just there were humor is probably the wrong word to use, but there were just moments where you got a chuckle out of how the plot situation kind of played itself out or how the communication. I mean, I really I think this might have been my favorite Gordon Batman relationship I've ever seen in a film. Yeah. Yeah, that was like good. That. The, Jeffrey Wright there is there is an interesting I, yeah. conflict. Yeah, between the two, you know, where where is a very strained relationship, and even though Gordon believes in him, he has to defend him everyone's against, against Gordon for be- believing in this guy. Yeah, which is actually a cool, cool element. Again, it's like it's one of the, the things. It's 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 one of the things about this movie that I that I that I did end up really liking. I'm gonna actually like so like the the penguin sequence with the. I was kind of thinking about that, you know, with the Joker sequence when he when he flips the truck in the dark night. Cause it mm. almost kind of felt like a parallel where he's this hard speed chase and he finally captures the, the villain at the end. And I was, I don't know when it, when, it, when it happened with a penguin, it was felt sort of okay. He, I guess he got the penguin. And when it happened with the Joker, it felt well, monumental. Yeah. Well, those I was things, wondering those why that was oh, well, the Joker. That was like a I, I massive think, heist. That was like a, yeah. right. no, with Joker. So he'd been spending the whole movie trying to actually capture the Joker. And he yeah. finally gets him. And of course it doesn't go so well, but and with, there, with, there's with an Penguin, iconography. To... There's an iconography to Batman and Joker. I mean, that was, yeah, but it's, it's, it's more of the matter of like this, what's of the stakes that the movie had set up of like, okay, we got to get the Joker and we finally get him. And that's sort of like this huge, moment in the movie versus in here he's sort of like i just got to question the penguin oh shit he's shooting at me now now i gotta go do this high-speed chase and penguin isn't even sort of like the the big villain he's a villain so it it, it had like it felt like a lot of really cool pyrotechnics this ending in this moment but the situation didn't have the dramatic weight i guess to support that that insanity again i keep i feel like i can keep comparing this to the dark knight which is actually my favorite uh batman movie and you know there's a lot of actually similarities i think between the two and maybe that's why i keep comparing it it's just like one i feel like does it so much better than 
than the other. I would agree with you. I mean, so the Dark Knight is still my favorite Batman movie, even after even after watching this. Where I think I can dif- differentiate is that I think the Dark Knight is a fantastic film overall. I think this is a better Batman film about Batman, if that makes sense. That's the distinction I'm trying to make. Um, is it's not a better movie than the Dark Knight, but I think it does. It, I think it gets Batman in a way that the Dark Knight only hints at. Right, because the dark the, the Dark Knight's an ensemble film taken over completely by Heath Ledger for the most part, but it, it's still an ensemble film. It's not so much about Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I my my pushback is I feel like this one, and you've heard I'm not gonna broken record this, <laughs> but it's just the back that you know Bruce Wayne just kind of hits that same note over and over again, and so there's an attempt to make this about Bruce Wayne that doesn't quite. Didn't land um, for you. That doesn't quite work. Yeah, yeah that, that didn't yeah. fully deliver for me. But but I'm, a little gentle pushback on the Dark Knight, and it's it's funny you're making that argument. Perth, you're not going to push back on the Dark Knight. No one does that. <laughs> not to get a little referential, but it's like that conundrum between these two movies. Of, I think the Dark Knight might be the better film, but the Batman is the better Batman film, and I say that kind of like a, about Weezer's Blue Album is one of the best rock albums of all time but pinkerton is weezer's best album how is that possible because they're doing different things and mm-hmm. to, to dig into the dark knight a little bit more it some of the things that they execute with it are very novel and they're in the batman universe but it's interrogating other things that christopher nolan wanted to interrogate one of them which of which is surveillance one of which is not quite the prisoner's dilemma but the kind of the yeah. economic game theory thing that the joker mm-hmm. does the, the choice, right, with the two fairies. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of kind of moral plays by Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan's like, I have a bunch of points that I want to make at this time in the universe, and I happen to be making a Batman film. So let's inject them all in there. And it was but great. See, like with, I guess with Dark Knight, he actually is kind of interrogating the code of Batman's code, which is I'm not going to kill. Right? That That's the thing that, I mean, he spent No, Batman no, but the, but the whole surveillance thing Wayne. has nothing to do with killing. The whole surveillance thing with Morgan Freeman has the i'm gonna take the fall right. like they're all all of these things i mean batman it's about does. escalation it's iconography of batman it's the the surveillance thing is his inherent fascist tendencies sorry yeah. i think that was actually edward snowden commentary in that film dude it was very much what is going on in the moment i'm using film in pop culture to make a point and i'm, I'm not against it i thought it was great I thought it was brilliantly done but it was a commentary of the moment. I think that was pre. Wasn't that pre Edward Snowden? Now we're gonna look this up. Where is it? Well, so I mean, to be, to be fair, I think there's commentary in this film too. That's very metatextual about mass yeah. shooting in the far right, and mm. you know, 4chan. <laughs> I don't. And I don't think that's a problem. Like with the Batman, you know, it, uh, th- these movies are gonna be products of their time. I mean, we saw. You know, we we see the Marvel movies sort of are, are very kind of referential to what happens in the what's happening currently in in pop culture and in politics so i i mean i, mean, I don't i don't necessarily think yeah, that that's just that's fair but i don't that, feel like this movie was as weighed down by being in the moment as really i actually felt the opposite like no i felt the... i felt to be clear was it weighed down absolutely was it weighed down in batman mob shit uh multi-threaded plot with batman's origins and histories of gotham yeah it was complete but it was all weighed down in batman shit it wasn't weighed down in director shit and and again uh, both are great i i, I, I kind of disagree 
agree with that. There's definitely like the hip millennial mayor who's just, you know, I, I kind of just wish that they're, that they'd have permission. But, but that's more of a, a characteristic as opposed to like an actual act of the movie. You know what I mean? But isn't that still the director's decision to do that? Potentially. I, I mean, not potentially. Yes, it is. But the, again, I, I, what you two are arguing, I, I think is it, it doesn't matter <laughs> as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, it doesn't. It's about this podcast. Fresh, it's Ryan and I arguing. We find like small things to talk about. Like we'll, we'll like we'll talk. We'll like dig into like one really weird esoteric detail for like twenty minutes, and then, and then we'll use it to litigate what we're actually doing with our lives. <laughs> but but yeah. the the listen like what to go back to like what being of the moment of this moment. There, there was some horrifying metatextual things in here, right? Like at the end with what the Riddler does and what actually Batman inspires the Riddler to do. And then the Riddler in turn inspires a bunch of crazed mass shooters. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, there was a lot of January 6th in that. You're right. Not just January 6th, but there's also there, – there's, there's metatext with Batman itself mm-hmm. with the Aurora shooting in, in the, before the Dark Knight Rises, right? Like there's uh, – it was it made it more scary to me even though there was no like world ending threat at the end it was just you get all these people in, in a room and then a bunch of people with focused willpower and belief in something that is misguided take over it's a kind of it's kind of a weird dark mirror to well the dark knight when they had all the clone batman kind of running around the yeah. batman wannabes running around mm. it's almost sort of like that flip side to in to you know to positive inspiration you can you also have you know people just kind of like following a lunatic yeah and they show that very very relevant today they they show that visually from the beginning too right like the first scene is the riddler spying on the mayor right and you think it's batman at first maybe yeah you might think it's batman at first and then later on you see batman spying on selena the exact same way and it makes you incredibly uncomfortable because it's you, you, you're, you, the director has put you in a in a voyeuristic position, <laughs> just like just like they, just like they've done. And there, if you look at what happens in the movie, Batman and the Riddler are working together. Yeah, unwittingly on Batman's part, maybe, but he has well, to. He, yeah, he's he's kind of like you know, I, I think you know, as as the Riddler kills, he's kind of forcing Batman to understand who these people were, and kind of having Batman do the exposure work mm-hmm. as it were mm-hmm. but you know i mean that's the thing like like there's a lot of really cool shit here like this this gets kind of bogged down because then you have to kind of like deal with the mob and then you have the mob storylines um and then it's actually almost sort of a surprise to me like later on when the riddler finally comes back and you're like oh yes we were dealing with a serial killer yeah i get that 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 i will say they could have gotten to the riddler a little bit sooner than they did that took a long time to get to and to your point of what you were saying, comparing the penguin scene to the Joker scene, that scene may, where they take the Riddler from the coffee shop maybe lost a bit of its luster after that because of that. But I still enjoyed the 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 Arkham scene between the two of them because they they're basically both you know, what are they? They're both orphans that have different expectations of each other, and then they both throw a hissy fit when they realize that it's wrong. 
<laughs> Two orphans throwing a hissy fit. Yeah. That's the alternate title. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and again, like all Batman movies, uh, like good Batman movies, in my opinion, it does. I And I said this about imposter. It leads towards a heroic ending. And I loved the speech at the end. Like, uh, I don't remember the exact words, but he was talking about how the city's angry and scarred like himself or something. And if you could survive them, then you have the strength to endure. And that's, that encapsulates who he is and that encapsulates what he's trying to do. Yeah. He screwed up the entire project so far, but it doesn't mean he won't keep trying to do better. Yeah. I just feel like that, that works so much better when they, when, when it was Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. That was essentially, that was that was essentially Spider-Man uh uh homecoming. Like he keeps screwing up, he tries to do the right thing and he's going to keep trying. And I felt like that really that really worked in part because he's this kid versus like with Batman it's the same it's essentially the same theme and that's 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 to my point of I have kind of seen the, a version of this before and now I'm just seeing it instead of the red and blue dude I'm seeing it with a guy who's kind of like in a black suit with pointy ears it's it's that that's that's my issue it's sort of like there are times when i when i'm like i have seen this shit before done better and in more interesting ways and now i'm seeing it recombined here in this batman movie and i just wish i'd see something that's a little bit more unique to this particular character did you did you want alfred's head in a box like in seven i would have that would have been that would have been fantastic Right, like that's that's like that's the final. That's the final. Well, I was final a little, movie. I was a little confused as to why Alfred was not so prevalent in this movie. Felt like they could. He done kind more of, with him. yeah. Once he's once he's like, you're like a dad. You're like, oh, you're the only person I care about. It's like okay, and then he's kind of like he exits stage left. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he is in the hospital. But that. yeah, I guess so. I guess that's a good way. That's that's now that's a good that's a good life lesson. That's how you that's how you can kind of like conveniently disappear someone just kind of well, put him in I a mean, hospital what, like, what i would say about alfred though it's of all of the batman movies even where michael kane plays alfred alfred mostly takes a back seat but that, that's a good point as that's a true. result as, so i was actually i would actually argue the the opposite i think for, first alfred did have to take a back seat in this movie because there was so much shit to do there was mob bosses and catwoman and blah 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 but this movie gave alfred significantly more agency and significant things of significantly more interest. And maybe I was tinged because we read Batman Imposter the week before. No, that Alfred just disappeared. Well, but again, <laughs> but the but the absence of him made us understand the impact of Alfred. So maybe I was looking a little too much into it in this film. Yeah, but the fundamental argument that when Alfred's in this film, the fundamental arguments he has with Bruce are, I mean, he kind of wins them. Uh, at least from not not with Bruce, did, but he wins them with the audience. Did you guys notice when uh, when he walked into the manor at one point? It was daylight. He wasn't Bruce Wayne was not in his suit. He was just in civilian clothing inside the house. It was so bright. He had to put on sunglasses. <laughs> did you notice that? Yeah. I started cracking up. <laughs> so anyway, I, th I, th I thought this was probably uh, not necessarily the most honest portrayal of Alfred, but the Alfred had more to do in this film. And not just because he was helping solve the case and do the ciphers, but because he actually was poking at this flawed year two Bruce. And I think we all kind of already know the shtick of Alfred the Butler. 
Like well, Alfred yeah, actually yeah. didn't even drive the car to take him to the funeral, right? So Well, I think they insinuated here that he wasn't necessarily the butler, maybe the bodyguard. Like like you're like Batman Earth One or whatever mm-hmm. that by Jeff Johns. Because he, he did mention like I was supposed to be protecting your parents. I can teach you how to fight, but that kind of stuff. Mm. So it was it, it was a it was a fresh take. I love Andy Circus. I'll take Andy Circus in anything. Oh, and Andy Circus did say he had his days in the circus, and that made me get excited about a potential Dick Grayson Easter egg. Hmm. I didn't realize that was the only Easter egg. I mean, the Blue Haven thing at the end. So yeah, yeah, that was. I figured. I figured you guys would freak out about that one. Yeah. Well, it's it interesting. Cool. It's what's interesting about. I mean, just put Nightwing aside for a second. One, I think this is the best interpretation of Catwoman, and I was talking to my friend Sharon about this this morning because she took um, her husband to see it. She, this Selena Kyle had more agency than any of the previous ones. So that I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, like, and I'm a big fan of the Ed Brubaker Catwoman run, which Ryan, I think at some point, I think all three of us should read it, frankly. It's because she can exist. Ed Brubaker's Catwoman exists in this world, exists in the I was marginalized, I'm pushing back against privilege. And I don't need Batman to deal with this. Like, and you know, I can literally see an entire movie or HBO Max series that does not have Batman in it, that has I, Catwoman. I, I, yeah, I think they might be doing that with her. Um, that might actually be something that's happening. They should call Ed Brubaker and have him write the screenplay because it's been done and it's been done. It's been done really, really well. And I enjoyed that. Minus a couple of things, there were no damsel in distress kind of moments, and that was great. I, I really appreciated that. So. How do you like the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman? I'm just curious. Do you want adult Roman or teenage Roman to comment? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, uh, let's just go with adult Roman. I'm kind of afraid what sort of comment is going to come out of teenage Roman. <laughs> no, I mean, if, again, the origin. Every I, I, I don't remember much of Catwoman from the third Dark Knight. I, I don't give a shit about the goofy origin of being surrounded by cats and stuff. I just want this kind of down on her luck working girl who's pushing back against the man. Like that's that's a much better interpretation of Catwoman, a Catwoman who has agency and a Catwoman yeah, the, who can kick ass. Yeah, the Anne Hathaway was sort of like she was just sort of like a sidekick. I mean, she was a good performance. I actually like Michelle. Fe- that's what I was thinking. The Michelle Pfeiffer actually kind of had a similarity with the Zoe Kravitz one and that she a little bit yeah. revenge, you know, she was kind of pushed around and this is sort of like, you know, yeah, but, but, I mean, but the, the goofy, the goofy origin story of, Oh, she's a meek woman. And then some accident and cats surrounding her. And then she has this transformation. No, right, but that's the no... theatricality of Tim Burton though. I mean, yeah. that's a different, it's a different universe. Yeah. But uh, I, so, aside from that, Michelle Pfeiffer was fantastic though. I would yeah. say when right? she like, was aside... that woman, but, yeah. but again, the thing, the thing in that Tim Burton movie is there's a transformation from Selena Kyle to Catwoman, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And what I really appreciate about Selena Kyle, yeah. What, yeah, what I appreciate about this movie, and they actually never call her Catwoman. No, they movie, don't, and she's not. She's Selena Kyle. Yeah, the entire she just happens movie, yeah. to have a, a beanie that kind of gives her cat ears, and she has she likes stray cats, and that's there was less differentiation between Bruce Wayne and Batman, and less differentiation between Selena Kyle and her criminal identity, and. And I don't think they really kind of pushed the limits because there wasn't time in the plot of that dual identity. But as you mentioned earlier, Paresh, like, again, didn't think of it till you mentioned it, but it's like the consequences of not having a dual identity were great for Bruce slash Batman. 
So, yeah, I like that yeah. there is there is no dual identity with Selena. Um, well, I, I loved think- I, I loved the scene where actually Batman stops her from killing Carmine Falcone, and she's screaming, "He has to pay!" And he his response is, "You don't have to pay with him." Right. And it, and again, that's another example, I think, of the cracks in his armor and in, in his worldview kind of coming down. That it's I, not I, appre- I appreciate that from Bruce's perspective, but that was the one kind of cringy damsel in distress moment. Like the moment, you- the moment was, a, a, but it wasn't so much about saving her physically. I mean, yeah, it was. She was being choked to death, so it was a damsel in distress <laughs> moment, actually. But the the line and the and the intent, yeah. I appreciated. So I guess, Ryan, I have to ask you a question because I already know Parush's answer and I know my answer. But would you recommend this movie to someone? Probably not. But if you do see it, make sure you go to the bathroom before. Uh, <laughs> because all of my yeah. friends I saw with, they had to pee so bad afterwards. I feel like Avengers Endgame made me pay attention to film runtime and like as an old man, like monitor my fluid intake before the film. <laughs> <laughs> so ryan that's uh, that's smart as we get older also there's an there's an app for that i think where it's like when should oh, i pee? the best time to when take a break you, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i actually remember looking that up for endgame so i i would know so ryan yeah before i ask you the last question i want to set it up to be savage dragon even though i know we're not actually going to read savage dragon next so do you want to ask me or should i ask you all right yeah i'll do it so so roman what do you what are we going to read next week oh no no actually you just say so next week ryan we're going to read savage dragon and then i'll just interrupt with ninja turtles but no we're reading the ukraine book oh shit we are or drifting classroom no we're going to release ukraine no, this we're week gonna do the ukraine yeah we're, we're, we're doing yeah yeah, yeah so just oh, ask yeah. me what i'm going to read and then i'll set up savage dragon and how i'm so excited the only reason we would not read savage dragon is because of the batman and then you know Next week, it'll be fun. Yes. So, Roman, what are we going to read next week? <sighs> okay, Ryan. Um, I was okay for us to not read The Savage Dragon this time because we all had to see The Batman. And it's, you know, this three-hour movie that really kind of pulled us apart at our points of view about the world and even this movie and what we wanted from a Batman movie. So I think it was a really important conversation that we had to have. But next week, Ryan, we are going to read The Savage Dragon. 30 years of amazing superhero comics by Eric Larson. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to have a great time next week. It's going to be really breezy and lighthearted. <laughs> well, Paresh, I'm sure there won't be another Batman movie for a while. So <laughs> I guess we'll see you in about a decade. <laughs> a decade? God, I hope they get, go faster than that. There's a new Gotham HBO Max series coming out. They're doing Penguin, Catwoman, Batmite, everyone. Oh, Yes. The the bat cinematic universe. Everyone's hanging around upside down getting rabies. That's stupid. <laughs> and that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since for sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. QTDcomics at gmail.com give you a social media handle but we're old and that feels like too much work i'm roman segel and i am and have always been ryan jones